Hello and welcome to the Father's House Church. We're so glad that you came to join us here today. We pray that you are encouraged from today's message from our associate pastor, Peter Vischer. We've been in the book of Acts for several months now. We're finally making our way toward the end of the book. Probably early September is when we're going to wrap it up and move into a different series. Uh, We're in Acts 23 today. One of the main characters in Acts is a guy named Paul. We've already started talking quite a bit about Paul. Um, But the theme and the thread throughout my message today is that Paul experienced a lot of hard things. Tremendous challenges, suffering, persecution, all of those things. Um, But he never gave up. This guy just kept going powerfully, forcefully serving God, pouring his life out for the work of the kingdom. Um, Paul never failed in his witness as a follower of Jesus. And throughout Acts and other letters that he wrote, we see him laboring for the gospel. He worked hard. He traveled extensively. He didn't travel in an air-conditioned vehicle like you and I, but he walked many miles. And often when he got to where he was going, he was persecuted, whipped, beaten with rods. Um, He was thrown in prison. On one occasion, a crowd thought that they had stoned Paul to death. Like, can you imagine that? They threw rocks at him until they thought he was dead, and then he just got back up and went back into town and just kept on going. Like, this guy, imagine the mental fortitude and the spiritual calling to do that. Um, Paul was shipwrecked three times in his ministry. I remember on my honeymoon, we were out on a boat. The boat started rocking a little bit. I was done. I was like, take me back to the land. Like, I'm a, I'm a landlocked guy. But like, shipwrecked three times in his ministry. Crazy storms. But he was faithful. And I believe that faithfulness is one of the most powerful testimonies that you can have. That at the end of your life, people say about you, he never stopped. He kept going. She had every reason to give up what she was doing, but she kept going. And it's not just that you kept going, it's that it was spirit-inspired. It's that it was spirit-infused. You were obedient to what God was calling you to do, no matter the cost. And that looks different for everybody. I'm going to mention several examples in this message, but uh, business, growing a business, starting a business, seeing it thrive and prosper, raising godly children, it's not glamorous. It's hard work physically, emotionally, mentally. You pour your lives spiritually into these little people. Um, Thinking about students, I remember when I was working my way through that four-year degree, man, it was hard work, writing papers and studying and doing tests, and some of you are getting a break now, but man, September's coming. You're going to keep working it out. Right, Hannah? Yeah, there we go. I caught eyes with a student. Um, Maybe you're older and retired. Okay, don't make fun of me, but I used to think that retired people were not busy. I used to think that retired people had nothing but time. And you know, fair enough, maybe they have some time, but a lot of them are hardworking people serving their family members, encouraging and praying for their grandkids. Um, You know, whatever your context is this morning, some of you are surrounded by others and you're working things, things through in a place where it's not easy. And God is telling you this morning, keep going. Keep giving, be consistent, pray that your labor alongside those who are different from you or in that place that's challenging for you, it's going to bear an effect. And so for those of you in the room, 
Those of you online this morning, if it's been a challenging season lately, this message is for you, and it's called When You Feel Stuck. When You Feel Stuck. And I'm going to give you three points, and I believe that if you internalize these truths, you're going to receive strength to keep going. And just like the Apostle Paul, who was beaten and battered and tossed and turned and thrown in prison and persecuted, Paul said things like, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. He said things like, hold on to faith and a good conscience, press on, persevere, fight the good fight, finish the race. Paul said, I am certain that God who began a good work will be faithful to complete it until it's finished on the day when Jesus returns. That was for Paul, that was for you too. That's for all of us. So let's pray together and then I'm going to jump into the book of Acts. God, thank you for your church. Thank you that your kingdom is alive and well in Sturgeon County, Alberta. God, thank you for the many opportunities we have to love people, to serve people, to lead people to Jesus. God, I pray that anybody in the room, maybe multiple people this morning who feel stuck, who feel like it's been really challenging, God, that you would encourage them. You would help them by your Holy Spirit to persevere and that this message would be a blessing to them today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so in this story, um, Paul's a prisoner. You know, we're, we're used to kind of seeing Paul up until this point free-flowing. He's a missionary. He can go where he wants to. Not today. Paul is a prisoner, and he's standing on trial before the Jewish uh, leaders in Jerusalem. And so it would seem that he's in really big trouble. But before we get to Acts 23, I want to ask the question, how did we get here? Uh, so we're going to go back as far as Acts 20 in this message, and we're going to look at 21, 22, 23, and kind of look at the surrounding context. But in chapter 22, before being arrested and put on trial, Paul was talking about Jesus. Almost any chapter that you find Paul, Paul was talking about Jesus. Jesus forgave sins. He, he rescued humanity. He restored relationship with the Father. And in this particular chapter, the one before we're in today, 22, um, Paul is in front of Jewish people. He's in front of the Israelites, and he's saying, God has a plan of salvation for foreign people, for people outside of Israel. God wants us to engage them with the message of salvation. Now, let me tell you, that didn't go over so well. That was not a message that the Jews wanted to hear. And so, boom, they lost their minds. They started a riot. They decided that Paul should die. Acts 22. And let's remember, at this point in history, the Jews are subjected to the Roman government. And so, there's Roman soldiers around. And what happens is, the Romans hear the ruckus, they hear the uproar, they rush in and they pluck Paul out of this angry mob. Now, it sounds good to be rescued from a riot. I mean, that'd be pretty cool if the police or whomever came and rescued me from a mob. Not for Paul. He kind of goes from one problem to another problem. The Romans that pulled him out were used to these Jewish squabbles that happened in the city. And so without even giving Paul a fair trial, they begin beating him with whips. They begin whipping him, trying to get him to confess, what did you do to tick off all of these Jewish people? You, you, you caused a, a riot, an uproar. 
Now, Paul, probably in the middle of being whipped by the Romans, he shouts out and he says, is it legal for you to whip a Roman citizen? The Romans go, whoa, take a big step back. You're Roman. And I don't know if he, you know, pulled out his license or whatever it looked like, but um, Romans were not like these other conquered people, like the people of Israel at that point in history. They got fair treatment. They got a fair trial. And Paul wasn't lying. He, he had Roman citizenship. He was born in Sicilia, I think is what it was called. Um, but he was raised in a devout Jewish family. And so Paul is this unique person who can speak to both Gentiles and Jews because he kind of has like a dual citizenship kind of thing. So they stop beating Paul. Uh, he gets a fair trial. But because his message and evangelism had offended the Jewish people, the Romans are like, okay, like this is not a Roman issue, at least right now. He's going to stand trial in front of the Jewish high council. They were called the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin are made up of, in this case, two ruling religious parties, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And so that brings us to Acts 23. I'm going to read the first five verses for you, and then we're going to talk about some points. Okay, so uh, verse 1, Acts 23. Gazing intently at the high council, Paul began. And he said, brothers, I have always lived before God with a clear conscience. It's a great start. Verse 2, instantly Ananias, the high priest, commanded those close to Paul to slap him on the mouth. Paul said to him, God is going to slap you, you corrupt hypocrite. What kind of judge are you to break the law yourself by ordering me to be struck like that? Great start. Verse 4, those standing near Paul said to him, do you dare insult God's high priest? He changes his tune. I'm sorry, brothers, I didn't realize he was the high priest. For the scriptures say you must not speak evil of any of your rulers. So I was um, initially trying to find some really nice, deep spiritual truths for you based on these first five verses. But then I was like, oh, no, I'm just going to talk about it from my gut. Like, what's going on here? Because this is weird and this is really unfortunate. So Paul opens his mouth to deliver his opening line brothers, I have always lived before God with a clear conscience. Wham! Gets slapped in the mouth. Instantly, the high priest orders somebody to hit that guy. I don't think Paul... Can you imagine? I hope that doesn't happen to you, you know, in your marriage or wherever, right? But I don't think Paul saw the conversation going that way. And have you ever been in disagreements like that? Maybe not slapped in the face, but but there's a fight and there's division and things are tense and you play it out in your head. He probably sat in the prison cell, you know, thinking about, okay, like, ah, like, how am I going to address the Jewish high council? Uh, We're going to talk about it. I'm going to talk about Jesus. This is how I'm going to start brothers. I'll call them brothers because Paul used to be a Pharisee. Remember that. Um, But 10 seconds in, things go from zero to 100, tempers flare, getting hit in the face might have that effect. So Paul's angry, and forget the nice crafted speech that he'd prepared. He shouts at the guy who ordered him to be slapped and said, God's going to slap you, you corrupt hypocrite. Now, the Bible's not hiding anything here, hey? Like, it's like, can't believe I got this chapter to preach on, right? It's just like, what do I do with this God? But anyhow, I go into the history of it, and the high priest was not a good dude. 
He was a hypocrite. He was a terrible person. And this guy, Ananias, the high priest, there's a good Ananias. Pastor Ed talked about him last week, but this is a common name and not a good Ananias. He took money from the temple tithes. He was a bit like a mob boss. He arranged for people to be killed. Paul was not lying. He's a corrupt hypocrite. He's not a good person, but you get the sense that he, he shouts back. He's angry. And then people in the room say, dude, you're calling out the most prestigious person in the room. Paul feels bad. He apologizes. Then he starts quoting scripture like, yeah, you're right. The Bible says, do not speak evil of your rulers. And this gave me insights into the way that sometimes tensions and arguments go, especially if you know a bit of Bible, especially if you know you're a Christian and you're fighting with people, you know, but then you get tweaked the wrong way and aggression comes out, defensiveness comes out, and it happens to the best of us, even those who are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. We are human, we are fleshly, we are emotional, sometimes we're reactive, Now, if you go back a few chapters, I told you I'm going to be kind of interweaving a little bit as I go through this message. I was like, why is Paul in Jerusalem? Like, why is he even here in the first place? Like, Paul, you big dummy, people warned you not to go to Jerusalem. You get mobbed by a crowd and whipped in chapter 22. Now you're in chains and on trial you get slapped in chapter 23. In chapter 21, check this out, good Christian people warn Paul, Acts 21 verse 4, Paul, they told Paul through the Spirit, do not go to Jerusalem. (laughs) And in that same chapter, chapter 21, there's a prophet, his name is Agabus, and he says, Paul, I need you to take off your belt. Paul takes off his belt, they tie up his hands, they tie up his feet, and he says, thus saith the Lord, this is what's going to happen to you if you go to Jerusalem. Paul is stuck in chains on trial with people who don't like him, and I'm going to give you three points to remember maybe when you feel stuck or bound up or tied up in the situations and circumstances of your life. My first point for you today was something that was critical for Paul to get through these trials, and it's that you need to remember your calling. Remember your calling. I think that's what was spinning in Paul's head. That's what was getting him through it. God called Paul to this crazy missionary life. And what I want to say is that God has called you. He's called each and every person in this room to do certain things well and to engage with certain people. And it gets crazy out there. It gets crazy. Some of you are called to business, others to work in the church, others to serve in missions. Some people are in medical care and social work, foster care, teaching, politics, finances, computer sciences, trades. Some people are called to get married. Other people never marry. Um, some are called to have children. Others, they decidedly choose not to have children so that they could pour their lives into other things. Some are called to live in the same place their entire lives. I was thinking about it. I, I don't know if I'm going to be... I'm born and raised in Mournville. I'm born and raised on a dairy farm about seven minutes from here. I'm here. Now I'm working here. I'm living here, raising my kids here. I, I kind of think I'm going to be here till I'm 95. Other people, the Coppins, Ashley's here today. They're moving back to Australia, you know? They're here for a while, for a season, but God is calling them, leading them. 
And no matter the specific thing that each of us are called to do, to work a job, to serve people, to live in a particular place, all of us are called to know God, to pursue Him, and to love Him with every fiber of our being. That's the calling that never goes away. And so here's Paul. Paul, remember your calling. Remember your calling. Paul is a preacher, teacher, missionary, evangelist, apostle. He's traveled to different places, ministering to different cultures, telling people about Jesus. Again, I ask the question, Paul, why are you in Jerusalem? Acts chapter 20, 22 to 24, Paul says, I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. Verse 24, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. What do you do when other people tell you the direction that you're going in is going to be really hard? The direction you're moving in is actually going to cause suffering in your life. Why would you do that job? Why would you talk to those people? When you read that Paul's friends, and here's what kind of blew my mind, Paul's friends, by the Holy Spirit, told him, don't go to Jerusalem. God is saying they're going to tie you up and put you in prison. Paul says, yes, but by the Spirit, I'm going anyways. Both Paul and his friends were right. I think God was saying, there's no hiding it. It's going to be really hard for you. This is your mission, Paul, should you choose to accept the mission. And Paul says, yeah, God, I accept the mission. I'm going to Jerusalem. And so let me make this practical for you. I'm letting you in on very real conversations that Chantal and I have had. We look at some of you who are in business and we marvel. We marvel at your calling. We marvel at your gifting and your skill. We're just like, how do people invest tens of thousands of dollars into a company with the hope that they will earn some and much more back? How do business people take on jobs and projects that require such great risk? And how do they employ so many people and trust that those people are going to have their best interest at heart? How do, how do business people do it? Seriously, we've talked about it so many times. Their equipment breaks down. Employees who quit. Uh, people try to take advantage of them. I've talked to business people and they say, yeah. It's hard, it's intense, there's highs and lows, there's profits and gains, but then there's debt, but I'm, I'm called to it. It burns in my spirit to grow and to see this business prosper, and I'm good at it. Um, foster care was really on my heart in preparing this message, and we had a foster mom in the first service, and I know the Barretts are here in the second service as well, but like, how do you do it? How do you take care of babies and children? Many of them have challenges and you feed them and clothe them and you get up in the night with them and comfort them and hold them. You get kicked and screamed at. Your house has holes in the wall. Wow. Your money gets spent and it's painful and it's heart-wrenching and those kids leave you one day and you may or may not see them again and you say, I'm called. God called me to do this. God asked me to do it, and so I'm doing it. I was picking on our worship assistant, Nick, in the first service. He was watching online. I know he's got some family here as well, but Nick is in school to be a doctor. 
God bless him. And he just wrote his MCAT exam. I thought, what is that? It's the medical college admission test. I would say to Nick, Nick, the Spirit of the Lord says to study hundreds of hours. There's going to be early mornings and late nights. There's going to be tears and exhaustion and mountains of textbooks to climb. And Nick says, God called me to be a doctor. And I'm going to make a lot of money. Right? That's not Nick's heart. Nick doesn't say that. But God called Nick to be a doctor. And so I asked the question, What got Paul through beatings and trials and prisons and being hit in the face? It was his calling. He didn't make a lot of money, but he wrote 13 books of the Bible. Can you imagine when we get to heaven? I want to meet the guy that wrote 13 books of the Bible. He's a big part of why Christianity exists in every nation of the world. But what Paul said about his life was, I faced death all day long. Imagine that being on your tombstone one day. I faced death all day long. In his last days, he said, my life is being poured out like a drink offering. He's like a cloth that's been wrung out. The pain and the suffering that he's experienced. He is an empty cup. He expended everything. Paul was eventually beheaded in Rome, and he died as a martyr. And what's interesting is that word martyr can also mean witness. He died as a witness. And I think that Paul would say, I wouldn't have it any other way than for my life to be poured out and to die as God's witness. And so I want to ask you, what gets you through your worst days on the job site? What gets you through sleepless nights? What gets you through being yelled at by unreasonable toddlers and being hit in the head with toys? And you fill in the blank. What gets you through the worst fights in your marriage? What gets you through interactions with those who disagree with you and oppose you? It's the call of God. It's the call of God. And maybe there are people in the room today that say, I didn't know I had a calling. I didn't know God was calling my name. I didn't know that he had things for me to do. You're called to have healthy relationships. Every one of us has relationships. You are called to honor and serve and forgive and reconcile with your spouse. That's biblical. You're called to raise godly kids and leave a legacy behind. You're called to prosper in your workplace. You're called to sacrifice of your time and your energy and your finances and to help people and to support the work of God's kingdom. You are called to pour your life out like a drink offering, not a drop left saying, coming through heaven's gates, I gave everything for my family, for my friends, for my church. I gave everything. You don't retire, right, Lorraine? You don't retire. (laughs) And so if you've stopped and you're stuck, remember today that God has called you to keep going. And that's going to shoot some adrenaline into your veins. Back to the text, Acts 23. Paul is standing there in chains. He just got hit. He had a moment. He snapped. You're going to snap too. I've seen my wife snap. You know, I've snapped. It's hard, right? Paul regains his composure, and I bet he thought, God called me here before these people. Give me strength, Lord, and wisdom. Verse 6, it says, Paul realized that some members of the high council were Sadducees and some were Pharisees. 
And so he saw a unique opportunity here. He said, brothers, I am a Pharisee, as were my ancestors, and I'm on trial because of my hope in the resurrection of the dead. Verse 7, this divided the council, the Pharisees, against the Sadducees, for the Sadducees say there is no resurrection or angels or spirits, but the Pharisees believe in all these things. So there was a great uproar, and some of the teachers of the religious law who were Pharisees, they jumped up and they began to argue forcefully. We see nothing wrong with him, they shouted. Perhaps a spirit or an angel spoke to him. Verse 10, as the conflict grew more violent, the commander was afraid they would tear Paul apart, and so he ordered the soldiers to go and rescue him by force and to take him back to the fortress. What is with Paul being pulled out of mobs? Like, it's crazy. Like, this guy's got, like, no fear. It's just wild. But going back to the beginning of this section, Paul realizes that there's two parts to this council. There's the Pharisees, who were very spiritual people. They believed in angels and spirits and resurrection. And then there was the Sadducees. The Sadducees were liberals. They were rationalists. They were not spiritual at all. They only followed the first five books of the Bible. And Paul although he's now a follower of Jesus and he's abandoned the strict legalism of the Pharisees, he found common ground with them. And he said, brothers, I used to be a Pharisee and I'm on trial today because of my hope in the resurrection. Now, uh, unfortunately, he doesn't get to the part where he says specifically the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He actually didn't get that opportunity because these people start tearing each other apart. It's crazy. And the Pharisees, although they don't believe in Jesus as God's son, they chose to side with Paul because they believe in the resurrection. So how does this relate to the crazy stuff that you're going through in your life right now? My second point is you need to remember your context. Remember your context. So the first one, remember your calling, and now be mindful of your context. What are the surrounding conditions and circumstances that God has placed you in? Paul knew his audience. He knew that these people, Pharisees and Sadducees, were already in conflict. And so it felt like the heat was on Paul, but there was just a lot of heat in the room anyways. And, and that, what I want to say about that is that's your context too. Don't take things too personally because people are broken because people are already conflicted, because people are already at odds, because people are already fighting an unseen battle that has nothing to do with you. Be aware of your context. Sometimes it blows back in your face and you're like, whoa, why is this all? Because the context is often conflict. I read a quote many years ago, and it said, the context of ministry is conflict. My calling is to be a pastor. I've been working in this church since I was 18. I'm 35 now. And for years, I remember thinking, man, this is harder than I thought. People don't agree with me. People don't want to follow me. People are making decisions that I told them not to make. And then I remembered the context of ministry is conflict. What is conflict? Conflict is competing and opposing action. Opposing drives, wishes, and external and internal demands. The oppositions of persons or forces that give rise to action. The whole nature of my calling as a minister of the gospel is to tell people, you need to die. 
You need to die to your fleshly human desires. You need to receive God's power, His regeneration, His transformation given by the Spirit through relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what you need to do. I'm going to be preaching that until I'm 95. Um, But I don't want to die. I don't want to die to my fleshly human nature, and I've discovered other people don't want to die either. It's hard to surrender to Jesus, and so there's conflict in the context. There are feelings and physical demands and pressures and perspectives and philosophies and belief systems and habits that every person has that generates conflict with what God wants to happen in their lives and the the messages that I'm preaching. And what I want to say about that is it's the same in your context. And so I put a blank screen or a blank on the screen for you. You can fill in the blank on the screen. The context of business is conflict. You are there to solve problems. You are there to find solutions. You are trained and skilled and gifted and called by God to find a way when there doesn't seem to be a way. Parents, the context of raising children is conflict. They're little people with big feelings. They don't know how to manage them yet. The context, so I've heard, of raising teenagers is conflict. I'm not there yet. Is that true? Is that true? Yeah, you got some people nodding. It's scientifically proven that their brains don't develop until they're 25. Wow, okay. The context of politics is conflict. And what do they call the opposing or the the other party in parliament? They call them the official opposition. There's an official opposition. The context of extended family and in-law dynamics is conflict. The context of life with my unbelieving neighbors and coworkers is conflict. Listen, we deal with difficult people. We, we deal with problems. God, God called us to it. God called us into those places. And hear me when I say that people might not know what you know, and they don't have the rulership of Christ and His Spirit at work in their lives. And so if they're fighting you and they're fighting others, there's the conflict. Our text said that the group began arguing forcefully, never mind what Paul said. There were Pharisees and there were Sadducees and they were already in conflict. And so listen to me, those of you who feel stuck, I don't know your situation, but if you feel like you're trying to communicate and nobody's listening, receive the grace of God today in your context. If you feel like you're trying to fix something and it's not working or it's taking longer than you thought it would, receive the grace of God in your context. If you're taking someone else's emotions and reactions personally and it's hurting you, receive the grace of God in your context. If there's inner conflict and questions and insecurities, listen, a lot of it might not have to do with you. Even if you feel like you're on the receiving end of it, receive God's grace today in that context. Invite Him to come into that conflict because God knows. He sees. He loves you. He's for you. He's not against you. He's working it through with you. What was my first point? Remember your calling. God called you to this crazy life. He summoned you. He gifted you to influence in that area. Remember your context. Yeah, it's hard. God says, Paul, I'm calling you to suffer. 
Paul, I'm calling you to be persecuted. Paul, I'm calling you to chains. Wow, it's quite the context. My last point is remember that God cares about you. Verse 11 says, that night the Lord appeared to Paul and said, be encouraged, Paul. Just as you have been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must now preach the good news in Rome as well. And so think about it. Paul just got rescued by the Romans again, but he's in prison. And the Spirit of Christ shows up and says, listen, buddy, you've been a good witness. And that would just bring me to tears because if I was Paul, I would say, really, Jesus? I've been slapped. I've been yelled at. I've been arrested. I've been mobbed twice. Oh, my goodness. But God was working and stirring in people's hearts and convicting them and challenging them. Here's the word of the Lord to all of you in this room. I believe that some of you need to know that even your presence with God's Spirit inside of you, in that relationship that you're thinking about right now, in that context that you're thinking about right now, even your presence bears weight and influence on other people. Simply your commitment to be where you are, to stand up, to serve, to not shrink back, to speak up, is bearing an effect. You might be saying, it's not working. Jesus is showing up to you right now and saying, thank you for being a good witness. God says to Paul, you've been my witness here in Jerusalem. Now we're going to Rome. Um, I'll summarize the last half of the chapter, but it's really cool. You should go home and read it uh, from verse 12 onward. Um, A group of 40 Jews devise a plan to kill Paul. Now, it's interesting that the number is 40 because 40 is often associated in Scripture with testing and trial. Um, 40 days of rain in Genesis flood, 40 years in the wilderness for the nation of Israel, Jesus fasted for 40 days, right? 40 men trying to kill Paul. Testing, trial, tribulation, pain, suffering. This is cool. Paul's nephew is in the crowd and happens to overhear what's going on. So he visits Paul in prison, and Paul says, hey, see that Roman commander over there? You need to go tell him what's up. And this Roman commander, I believe he heard from God because he rallies his troops to protect Paul. Wow. 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen, they come together. How many is that? 470 trained Roman soldiers escort Paul out of Jerusalem. He gets to ride on a horse in the middle of them. Now, if we want to have a laugh at this story, those 40 Jews, they said, we will not eat or drink until Paul is dead. You don't want to think about what happened to those guys, right? Because they definitely did not kill Paul. 470 highly trained Roman soldiers get him out of there. Wow, it's amazing. But what I want to tell you this morning is that God cares about you. He cares about your situation. He cares about your relationships. He cares about your workplace or whatever it is. doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. But he cares about you. Back to verse 11, the spirit of Christ visits Paul in prison. He's in physical darkness. He's probably in emotional sadness. Every time he opens his mouth to share, there's problems. Jesus shows up and says, be encouraged. And what God is saying to every person in the room and those listening online this morning is, be encouraged. Be encouraged. Another translation says, be of good cheer. It's something that Jesus said to a lot of people. 
Uh, To the bedridden paralytic, Jesus said, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven. To the woman that had the issue of blood and had been bleeding for 12 years, be of good cheer is what Jesus said, your faith has made you well. To the frightened disciples on the Sea of Galilee, be of good cheer, guys, do not be afraid. The disciples on the evening of the crucifixion, exhausted, tired, be of good cheer. In this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Paul in prison, Spirit of God, you've done a great job. You've been a good witness. Be of good cheer. And if you unpack that phrase in the original language, it means be courageous, be bold, be confident, be infused with God's strength, receive His grace, be of good cheer, be encouraged. And that is what I want to finish off with today, to pray for you, to say be of good cheer. It hasn't been easy. I I, I named off a whole bunch of people in the room in the first service, and and I feel that way too. Names and faces and situations coming to mind, and I just want to encourage you this morning, and I want to pray for you. And so, um, why don't you stand with me, church? Why don't you stand? And what I want you to do as the band begins to play is I just want you to open your hands, and I want to pray for you. And just close your eyes, open your hands, And I'm going to pray in line with this sermon that I just preached today. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, I just pray that you will know your calling and that you will be strengthened to follow through with what God is calling you to do. And I pray in the power of the Holy Spirit that you will be gifted and anointed to solve problems and overcome adversity and to be successful in your mission. I just pray in Jesus' name, Father God, that every person will understand their context, that they won't take conflict personally, but that they'll rise above it and receive grace. Hallelujah. I pray that in your darkness, God will visit you, he will comfort you, and he will strengthen you. I pray that like Paul's nephew who overheard the plot to kill Paul, that God would place good people next to you to look out for you, to advocate for you, and to cut short the plans of those who are against you. I pray in Jesus' name that God will rally protection around you like an army of 470 highly trained soldiers to surround you and to carry you through the season that you're going through. I pray that you will know that you have been a good witness, even if it feels like prison, that you will be of good cheer, that you will be full of the knowledge of God and confident that he is using you in every circumstance. We pray this now in Jesus' name and the whole church said, amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you want more information, please visit our website, tfhchurch.ca, and we'll see you next week.